at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 56. Luke 1. So if you'd open your Bibles, please. And uh, while you're finding that, I'll just fill you in on a few things. The question, in addition to who is Jesus, I'm going to rephrase it just a skosh and ask us today, who's that baby in the manger? Um, well, that'll be next week. This week is, who is that little baby in Mary's body? Because we're going to be talking about the conception of Christ today in Luke 1, as opposed to his birth. We'll do Luke 2 next week. Last week, Matt walked us through portions of the Gospel of John and a variety of related scriptures that pointed to the pre-existent, before the cosmos was created, eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, God who took on flesh and dwelt amongst humanity, the light and life of all who would receive him. Today and next week, we're going to switch gears. We've gone all the way back before time. Now we're going to go into a time-space world, and we're going to ask the same question. And this time we're going to look, instead of at the, uh, through the lens of the Gospel of John, we're going to look through the lens of Luke in chapters 1 and 2, and just take some portions of that. But before we read today's text, let me briefly uh, set the stage, because it's, it's easy for us to forget what all is going on when we come into Luke. Um, real quick, God's covenant promises. This ties directly into where we are at Genesis. So Luke is just an outstanding jumping off point. God's covenant promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob have yet to be fully realized. Actually, if you look at the entire picture, that's the understatement of the year. But they have yet to be fully realized. Realized. In fact, Israel on the whole is estranged from God. It's scattered, quite frankly, in different lands. And those who are still in the land of promise, they're in the land of promise under foreign oppression. And the latest, the third, the latest temple was built by a foreign client king of the Roman oppressors. And most of the leadership engaged and involved with the temple at its various levels are corrupt. It couldn't get a lot worse, but it does. God's people have not heard the voice of a prophet or had any of God's words inscripturated for hundreds of years now. And they have had no, except for a brief, and we're not even sure what all that meant, but except for why they celebrate Hanukkah. And that's a perhaps, not historically, but the why's. There have been no active manifestations of God's presence for those same hundreds of years. They haven't seen God's glorious presence for a long, long time. But the good news is, even though no one knows it in this little vignette we're reading yet, the good news is that it's all about to change. The angel Gabriel is sent by God to the temple to bring exciting news to a single, not he's the only pious priest, but to one pious priest performing his duty. A son will be born to this, old, to, to this priest's old, uh, here's Sarah, old and barren wife. And this son, John the Baptist, will be the last Old Testament prophet, as it were. He's the forerunner of the soon-to-be-conceived and revealed Messianic king, this last Old Testament prophet, so to speak, will prepare people, the people of God, the remnant left in the land of promise for their Messiah, for his visitation. And God will formally 
and finally begin the fulfillment of the covenant he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A covenant that involved blessing their descendants, and through that blessing would come the descendant, and through that descendant, the whole world would be blessed. So for Luke, he's not introducing a new story. No. Instead, Luke is self-consciously continuing an old, old story. He is firmly rooting his account in Genesis, particularly in chapter 1, in Genesis, and in the rest of the Old Testament. It's an account of God's activity, though, in Christ that begins his gospel. And it begins, it begins with an old woman, and it begins with a young girl. Now, Luke is not just Luke 1. You can think of Luke 1 all the way through the sequel, Acts 28. And he's beginning a, a story, but it's a continuation. And it's what God is doing. And it starts. Luke jumps right in to an old woman and a young girl, moves it then to the focal point. Now, he intertwines John and Jesus, but Jesus is clearly the focal point. And then he shows, here's how it happens in his disciples and his followers, the downtrodden and the remnant of Israel. And then it splashes over into Acts. And suddenly it just blows wide open and goes all the way to the heart of the government, the capital, Rome the very capital that's oppressing the nation of Israel at this time. It's amazing. So what we're going to do today, who is Jesus? Well, this baby inside of Mary's body is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's check out our text and read it this morning, starting in verse 26. I'm reading out of the ESV. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. Now, obviously, we've skipped a lot of things, so he's already gone to see Zechariah. Now, Gabriel's sent. I'll start over. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to their home. Well, here's the plot line, roughly. Here's what it looks like. We're going to roll through the visitation in 26 through 33, then look at the conversation in 34 through 38, then the greeting, and then finally Mary's proclamation. That's what we're going to roll through. So let's start, well, before we start, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Familiar territory, familiar verses. At times, complex and meanings that need deciphering. We're in a different age. Lord, help me, help us to hear what you're saying to us today because you're still alive and bringing mercy and peace and deliverance and help and hope to us too. And Lord, we want to be a blessed one like Mary who believes your word and takes you at your word. Oh, Lord Jesus, be our Savior today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look real quick at the text again. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to check out the visitation. We're going to find out that Mary, Mary, there's, it's funny, this thing runs on three parallel tracks every single time. Mary finds favor with God. That's Mary's part. Then God, though, that's Mary, but God is faithful to his promise, back to Genesis, to the patriarchs. And then who's the baby? Well, Jesus is the fulfillment. That, that little embryo inside of Mary is the very fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Let's see how that could be. In the sixth month, 
The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, a virgin to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob. There's the Old Testament again. Patriarch forever. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. So what does God do? God, God sends Gabriel to announce the beginning of the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The descendant, singular, is about to come. So, where does God send Gabriel? To the religious and cultural center of the nation? The temple in Jerusalem? Well, no. He had done that for John, but he's not going to do that for Jesus. No, Gabriel was dispatched to a small, insignificant, unclean, and generally despised little town on the northern edge of Israel to somewhere called Nazareth. That'd be like saying the ruler of the universe is going to be born in Irmo or in Reedville or in McClellanville, where my mother's from. McClellanville, my mom was the valedictorian of her high school, class of 12. I think she could read, and she made valedictorian. <laughs> now, my mom's pretty smart, but I can't, I, it, it, I, I probably could have been valedictorian. Nazareth in Galilee. Galilee. Redneck, Hickburg, Galilee. Galilee was the Alabama, I won't talk about our state, was the Alabama of Israel, was the Mississippi of Israel. I'm sorry for those of you from there. Galilee to Nazareth in Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's where Gabriel was dispatched. So who did he find in Nazareth? Well, he sent on a mission. And he's going to find a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, the word virgin meant to them what it means to us today in its normal meaning. But that's not all it meant. It also described, in their context, the approximate age and the status, the station in life of an individual, of a girl called a virgin. Now, Roman law decreed that the, there was a minimum age for engagement. It's not really engagement in our thinking. That's why betrothal. Roman law had a minimum age. It was 10 for real. For a boy, it was 14. 10. 10. There's hope for so many young girls in here today. 10. Just ask your mom and dad, can I just make that happen? Can we, you know, 10. Jewish fathers many times arranged this same event to occur, to occur when the daughter was reaching puberty. Remember, they were arranged marriages. So the betrothal would come as this little girl 
is going to enter puberty. He could do it as early as 10. And that would also ensure, before she reached puberty, it would ensure her purity because she would be betrothed. And the betrothal began with a formal contract. Remember we talked about the dowry that would go to the family of the bride and be kept for the daughter as surety in case of a divorce or the premature death of her husband. The girl would continue, the little 10-year-old or 11 or 12-year-old, would continue living in the home of the father and would remain under his authority and his care for about a year after this contract. The girl, though, was considered married. She was betrothed and married. All that left was a ceremony and then a consummation of the marriage and then she would be released into the husband, to the household of her husband's family at that point. The only thing that could break up this betrothal was a formal divorce that would occur from the husband's side. So they were married, so to speak. So Gabriel is sent to Galilee to announce the beginning of the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bless the whole world through the descendant. And where? He goes to Galilee. Gabriel is sent to what was probably a girl at the time of about 11 or 12 years old. Is that who you trot out the birth announcement to? Nazareth in Galilee to an 11-year-old alone of the house of David. What's up? Why, why did we bring Joseph in right then? Well, Luke's going to accomplish two things in this short introduction. He's going to highlight Joseph's lineage. He's going to prepare us for what's about to happen. Joseph of the house of King David. But Luke also, as he does throughout his entire gospel and Acts, he's going to highlight the station and status of Mary. Mary has no family name given. We don't meet mom and dad. Mary is a woman. In a, she's a woman. Oh, in that culture. She was just, just a woman. She's a woman in a despised little backwoods town, and she's just a little girl named Mary, she has no station, no status, nothing to commend her. She's not the mighty or the wealthy. She is the low from a despised place. And that, because God does not look on the outside but looks at the heart, and God loves the lowly and loves those of humble estate, that's who gets his notice. Gabriel greets her in a manner that would have been familiar to her and to her Gentile neighbors, but would have done double duty among the Jewish friends because it also meant not just greetings, but peace and rejoice. Gabriel goes on to inform her that she's found favor with God and God will be with her. And the way he does that, the language that he does that through, it's familiar and specialized language to her. She's been schooled in the Old Testament. She knows that this, this type of phrase that he's using speaks to her having a unique place in salvation history. One that will need God's provision and one that will need God's protection. So, of course, it's no wonder that hearing this type of greeting, she's a little perplexed. She wasn't expecting it. She's busy washing the dishes, okay? She's perplexed. She's troubled, actually. She's even a bit afraid. 
So Gabriel immediately calms her fears and reassures her of God's favor. What a lesson for us. Gabriel just seemed to think that all she would need to hear is just, hey, don't worry. God's with you. You don't need any other statement, Mary, but God is with you. You found favor with God. That will solve all your fears, all your problems. I want to be like Mary. I don't know about you. I want more than that. What a lesson. And then he goes on to explain what this favor is going to look like. She will conceive and she will have a son and she will call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, saves. That's his name. And unlike John, who was called great in the sight of the Lord, that's really good. Jesus, though, is just going to be called great because Jesus is great in and of himself because Jesus is the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. Luke's going to develop this theme throughout his gospel in the book of Acts, but right here he's limiting this to 2 Samuel 7, where the Son of David, now you understand why he trotted out Joseph's lineage right away, because Joseph is going to adopt him, and as an adopted son, he's going to be a legal heir of David. So he's the Son of David is also going to be given Become, be, not become, the son of God. So who is that baby that's inside the body of Mary? (laughs) Well, he's the legitimate heir to the throne of David. And he's God's only begotten and unique son. And he's the eternal Lord of all things created. He's the God-man the Messiah, the Savior, Christ Jesus, the Lord. And he's the, the, the exclusive and single fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to bless Israel through your descendant. All the nations will be blessed. Well, there's the announcement, the visitation. Let's see what the conversation looks like. Mary's going to respond, unlike Zechariah, unlike Abraham, unlike Isaac, unlike Jacob, unlike me, perhaps unlike you. Mary's going to respond with faith. And she's going to find out that nothing is impossible for God. And what are we going to learn about Jesus? Who's this little big? Remember, he's an embryo. Is supernaturally conceived. Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, okay. Flashback to Zechariah. Unlike, Zechariah was a genuinely pious priest. He really was. But unlike Zechariah, 
Mary responds. Zachariah is visited in the temple while he's performing his duties as a priest. And he, his, his response to the angel Gabriel is rooted in unbelief and he struck mute. The little 11-year-old responds and later we find her speaking great praises of God from which she's known forever. What a contrast in faith and unbelief. Mary responds in faith. She is ready to take God at his word and to, and to fully embrace his plan. She gets the ramifications. But she only has a single question. It's a perplexing problem that she needs a little bit of explanation for. She gets it, but she can't get her head around how it's going to happen because after all, she's aware. Um, I, I'm a virgin. I, I believe, but um, I'm a virgin. I don't have a category for this. And neither does anyone. Gabriel responds in terms of God's creative ability. He hearkens her back mentally and spiritually to God's creative ability and God's creative activity back in Genesis. Oh, Mary, remember how the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, overshadowed the waters, and creation occurred? The same thing's going to happen to you. There's nothing impossible with God. The Holy Spirit, his activity will take care of it. You'll be fine. And the baby that's born in you, instead of being called illegitimate and vile and unclean, oh no. Because the Holy Spirit is going to do a miracle. The baby will be called holy. For after all, He's the Son of God. This time, Luke connects God's name as God the Son, the Son of God, not with what he's going to do in his vocation as as his mission as the King, the Messiah of Israel. Now he goes a different direction. He goes now into the Godhead. Why is he the Son of God? Because the Holy Spirit has been involved in his conception. Son of God by mission, Son of God by beginning, in every way imaginable, what he's going to do as a man and who he is in his essence when God becomes man, when God takes on flesh, when God becomes a few cells that grow to a baby. Gabriel informs over another event that's underwear, uh, underway and it will strengthen Mary's faith even more as it points to the fact that nothing is impossible for God. Mary's about to discover that Elizabeth is pregnant. And we discover that Mary and Elizabeth are actually related. First time. Mary's trotted out as nothing. And then when her, when her thing is fully established as she finds all of who she is in Christ for the first time, Luke says, oh, by the way, By the way, she's a descendant of Aaron, the high priest. So the little baby in her womb is going to be a descendant of King David through adopted dad Joseph, (laughs) son of God because of the activity of the Holy Spirit. And, oh, from Aaron, the priest. You, You remember both of those lineages came from an unwanted marriage with Jacob 
the unloved wife? There's so many things in this text that God is working. It gives us hope where we find ourselves. What's Mary's response to all of this? Faith and more faith. Faith that evidences itself in humility and obedience. I mean, think about it for Mary for just a second. A pregnant virgin. Now, we know the story, so we get it. Can you imagine if somebody in your family came and said, hey, I'm pregnant, and you went, huh, okay, that's cool. Um, Let's talk about that. Well, no, it's okay. Well, God can forgive you. I I get it. It's okay. Um, I won't judge you, but can we talk about it? No, 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 no. We don't even have to talk about it. Why? Because I'm still a virgin. Artificial... Bank, what would we do? How'd that happen? Help me out. There was no category for that at all. A pregnant virgin? Can you see the faces of her family? I met an angel and he told me that the Holy Spirit is going to help in conception. Her neighbors? The little backwoods town that's going to gossip, ridicule, and pour scorn on her? And hello, what about Joseph, who can divorce her? And if they were under the law back a couple of generations, she might have been up for the death penalty. No matter, her immediate response revealed her trust in God. It revealed her faith, and it revealed her character. She says, I am your servant. And as such, she's going to submit to whatever God's plan requires of her. She is aware that God's favor and God's presence alone will guarantee protection and provide for her, even in the midst of trials and uncertainty and trouble. She will do whatever God asks of her. And she knows God will take care of her. And she trusts God. And she trusts in God. (laughs) Not bad for a 12-year-old. I need to learn from her. Mary responds with faith because she gets that nothing's impossible for God and God will protect and provide. And by the way, the point of this area in the passage, though, as good as those things are and as wonderful lessons as they learn, no, no, who is Jesus? Because they're talking about Jesus. He is supernaturally conceived. He's the son of God. Let's keep moving. The greeting. Mary is blessed. We'll find that out in a minute. But here's what's cool for us. God is active in big ways through small people like me and you. What we're going to find out is Jesus is Lord. Let's check it out together. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why? Is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So what happens? Mary responds in faith and her faith takes feet. 
she immediately heads. A little 12-year-old, we're not told any of the data. We're not exactly sure where in Judea she went, but she headed south from the top of Israel towards the bottom. On foot, with with a mount, we don't know who, we don't know what, but what we do know is the next thing we know, she shows up in Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. John the Baptist is in there. Mary says, hi, Elizabeth. And all of a sudden, Now, that's a big deal. But Elizabeth is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth immediately starts basically to proclaim, to prophesy. She's got God-given insight into what is going on. On, what does she say? She she trots out immediately that Mary's blessed. Blessed are you in your unique motherhood. This supernatural sign that the realization of God's promised plan for Israel and the entire world has begun. Mary, Elizabeth gets it because we see what she says next. She says, inspired insight. She's reflecting the fact that. Me, Elizabeth, everybody's humble, everybody's of low estate. She's got John the Baptist in her womb, and she's not going, yeah, that should be happening to me. She's not jealous, there's no envy, there's no presumption. She's amazed. She just says, why, why would this happen to me, that the, the voice of my, the mother of my Lord, ooh, we just find out who Jesus is. And we find out that the Holy Spirit has revealed to Elizabeth who that little embryo just conceived, maybe seven or eight days old, in the womb. Not even a baby in a manger yet. We're way before that. Little heart may not even started beating. And Elizabeth knows because the Holy Spirit comes on her. And John the Baptist, who will be filled from the Holy, with the Holy Spirit from the womb, John the Baptist leaps for joy because he heard the voice and he knows not Mary's here. Jesus is here. And what does Elizabeth say? Not, oh, Mary. Oh, no. Mary, it's so cool. You are so blessed because you have Jesus in your body. You've been chosen to bear the Son of God. But it's about Jesus, not about Mary. Mary, I don't get it. Why has God blessed me? Who cares about John the Baptist? I've heard the mother of my Lord. My Lord's here. And I am stoked. And then she goes on. She changes tenses and she says, and by the way, the first beatitude in Luke, she says, and blessed are you. Blessed is anyone. We're invited now to respond in a similar fashion. Blessed are those... Mary, blessed are you because you've actually taken God at his word. You had faith in what the angel said, unlike Zechariah who just started talking six months ago. What a study in contrast and what an invitation for us. Will we, in your trials, in your troubles, in your struggles, in your tribulations, Christmas, oh my goodness, Aren't you like that sometimes? I love Christmas. I hate Christmas. I love Christmas. Jesus who? I'm too busy celebrating Jesus to talk to him in the morning. I need him now. And I need him to deliver me now. 
and I need to have mercy on me now. And he's my Lord. And I want to be like Mary and just take him at his word for the promises he's made to me because of this little baby, this little embryo. Because the embryo was the Lord of the universe. And, Ma- and Mary and Elizabeth and John the Baptist knew it. Amazing. And then Mary trots out now a proclamation. She's going to praise. It's like a psalm. She's going to praise and proclaim God's powerful mercy and covenant faithfulness. She's going to realize, and we find out, that God acts in mercy and in justice, and we'll get to that in a minute, on behalf of his people. But the main thing we need to hear, God's powerful mercy and covenant faithfulness and the fact that he acts in mercy and in justice on our behalf is only because of that little embryo is the Savior of all these people. He's the fulfillment. He's the Lord. He's the descendant. He's the promised seed. He's the Lord of the universe. And if you're a Christian, he's here to act on mercy in your behalf even today. It's amazing all that he is and what we need to remember as we ask. So Mary's going to praise God with language that echoes various Old Testament passages. Stuff like a strong arm, saving action, humble estate, manifestations of holiness, mighty one savior. We don't have time to get into all that today, but that's all the echoes of what she's saying. But she does pull it out into two things. It's like a psalm, basically, what she's going to say. It's personal. She starts with her, and then she goes corporate. So she's personal. She has this this spontaneous response of joy and gratitude. She can't keep it in. John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit, everything's happening in front of her, and she is aware afresh. And she just responds. And then she gives a reason for a response. She has a reasoned response. Oh, she's filled with emotion, but it's not void of her brain. She gets why, and that just comes out of her mouth. And then she moves from what the Lord's done for her to what the Lord's going to do for the nation and for us. Anyone, anyone who will believe, anyone who will receive, anyone who will repent and put their trust, not in a little embryo anymore, but who the embryo still was, fully man, fully God, the one who died for our sins, but the one who's now engaged in what Matt read when he read out of Revelation. He's ruling and reigning over the cosmos. He's the Lord Christ Jesus. So what does Mary do? Well, let's read real quickly what she said. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has, and here's how he saved her, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those from humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary praises God with this language. Her response is like a psalm in two different parts. First of all, Mary's just, just amazed. And, and, and before we just take that for granted, John was amazed, I mean, Zechariah was amazed and responded in unbelief and was disciplined and struck mute. Just because an angel shows up or just because the Holy Spirit show up, check out Luke and Acts 2 when the Spirit descends on the church for the birthday of the church and births the church. Not everybody there just goes, oh, look what's going on. Isn't this cool? Let's praise God. Now, those are the, the, the sheep and the goats. But with Zechariah, he, he fits more like what we've been reading in Genesis. He is actually a pious priest. He's a good guy. He loves God. And he still, he still skips a track and responds in unbelief. And God disciplines him, but still lets Elizabeth bear John the Baptist. And he gets his voice back after he submits by writing, no, no, his name will be John. Now he can talk. We can't assume. We've got to do what this verse is talking about. Oh, it has implications for the, the genuine poor, but it's more about the spiritual poor. Are you aware that there are times like me, when you just have to come to God saying, I don't have anything. I, I, I have no collateral, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And that applies to us to get saved, but applies to us even in seasons like the one you may find yourself in, in the middle of the holidays. Lord, I'm just ate up with guilt. I don't even want to talk to you because I'm so distraught by what I'm not doing while I'm busy celebrating you. Good news. Good news. He's no respecter of persons. Good news. He comes to give mercy to those who recognize they're spiritually poor and come to him for help in their time of need. If you're not a Christian, come to him. He won't cast you away for that. He's come to save you. If you are a Christian and you find yourself just in dire straits or just in depressed or just in, I just don't even care about God today. I just want to, like, can we shut up so we can go eat? Just come to him. He'll save you from that too. So Mary's amazed at what God does. Mary's amazed. Mary's grateful. Out of humility, she's been, out of, out of the whole cosmos, out of all of humanity, she has been noticed by God. And I mean, it's a really big deal that Mary got to bear Jesus, and I'm not taken away from that. Blessed is she among women. Blessed is the fruit of the room from generation to generation. But you know what? Okay, I got another one. God noticed me while I was yet a sinner. When I was a little 15-year-old jerk who didn't care about him. 
Out of everybody else that was smarter and brighter and a thousand other things, who did he pick? The dumb little kid with the marine hat and the confederate flag on his back thinking he was Billy Bad. And he just, just got me. And he just showed me mercy. And he just changed my heart. And I responded amazed and grateful. And I repented and I believed. And I changed ever so slowly. <laughs> I appreciate what God did for Mary. Sorry, I'm a lot more grateful what he did for me. I get the lowly estate thing. God cared for her as he cares for others. God takes action, the corporate side. God, what does mercy look like? God takes action against the proud and powerful. He, he acts in behalf of his poor, spiritually and materially. In other countries, he does. He takes down rulers, but spiritually. You know what? <laughs> People oppress. Sometimes we won't see vindication until after we're dead. But when it's all said and done, God, we pray for our enemies. We want God to stay his hand of judgment. We don't want vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord's. But let me tell you what. In this little psalm, Mary is proclaiming a truth throughout Scripture. God, one day, all who do not bow the knee, all who decide to do, all, oh, there'll be a day of reckoning, and they will not escape God's wrath. And in and, and a way that's hard for us to grasp, we will rejoice in God's holy justice. Not in a category we could do now necessarily because if we're still in a fallen world, but we will, we will get it. And God will be praised. And I invite you, if you are a candidate for that, please know that will happen to you and you can repent now and come to God now while you have a chance and a choice. God takes action against the proud and powerful. He acts on behalf of the poor and lowly people. God has mercy on us. He has a loyal love. He has faithfulness and generosity. He rescues those who turn to him in their hour of need. That's what Mary is talking about. Mercy in this instance looks like deliverance and faithfulness. <laughs> Mary, it's, it's, it can be confusing in our categories today, but we can narrow it down. Mary knows that God's character and God's attributes are not abstract concepts. God's character and his attributes are concrete actions in the real world, in the real life of the people that he loves. Mary is simply celebrating God's covenantal love. It's his covenant love that motivates his rescue. It's his covenant love that motivates his salvation. It's his covenant love that motivates sending his son into a world gone mad. It's rebelled against him. This little baby inside of Mary's body came into the world to die for their sins, giving them light and life. Jesus came. Jesus was sent. Jesus came willingly of his own volition to die for us so he could save us.
Who's the little embryo inside of Mary's body at this point in Luke? It's our Savior. Supernaturally conceived. He's also the king and will rule over all, which we will all bow the knee, willingly or not, at the end of time. He's Christ, Israel's Messiah, our Messiah. He's the Lord, our King, and the ruler of the entire cosmos. But he's also come to be our friend. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. And if you find yourself today just caught up in the season, listen. He's got the power to save. He's got the desire to save. Just turn. If you're not a Christian, turn for the first time. If you're that Christian like a lot of people are this time of the year, me too. Turn for the hundredth time and receive mercy and grace and help. Covenantal love in your time of need. Now, then take all that and find somebody else in your life this week and put it on display for them because they need God too. Let's pray. Matt, you can come on forward. Lord, we have hope. We have hope where we find ourselves. Who's that little baby in Mary's body? It's Christ Jesus, our Lord, and we are blessed like Mary to know him. And Lord, we are blessed if, like Mary, we trust in him for our need. We trust in him to identify with us and to be patient for us. We trust in him that he's able to save us, even in messes we've created for ourselves or in messes that we've had nothing to do with. You love us. You are powerful to save. Lord, you're our Lord. You're our Savior. You are our friend. You have brought us hope. 